thee to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, put the best robe and ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, What is going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has come back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because your brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Have you ever read a book or watched a movie and had that aha moment of, hey, they're telling my story. You know, the, the names, the dates, the situations may be slightly different, but in so many ways you find yourself in the story. It's almost as if the, the author or the movie director had been uh, listening in on your private conversations and, and reading your journal. You know, at first this may be a bit unnerving, but it can also be extremely liberating because you get to see that other people have had the same experiences as you. They've had the same highs and lows, the, the same thoughts, the same emotions, maybe even the same responses to some of the things that you have gone through. You know, as you're reading this book or watching this movie, at your moment of aha, you realize, I'm not alone in this. You ever had that, that moment of aha? Early last year, 2013, we sat around tables in here and looked at the story of the prodigal son, the lost son. And that morning we had you ask, answer a couple of questions. You know, I asked, uh, what character do you relate to most? Uh, which character most resembles your own life situations? This was a good exercise because it, was, uh, it put us in the story. It was, it was individual focused. It, it made it easy to relate to. You've heard the story now of the prodigal son read four times uh, in a row, four Sundays in a row. So you know the story. Hopefully you've been spending some time in it at home as well. Story goes, there's two sons. One makes this uh, crazy request of his father, <laughs> takes his inheritance, goes and squanders it in this faraway land, realizes what he's missing at home, comes home, reunited with his father. A big party is thrown, big brother is mad, and a dad tries to keep the tension calm. For all we know, the party keeps going. Now, sitting here today, you may still find yourself in that story. You may still find yourself saying, yeah, I connect with the younger son, 
or I connect with the older son, or maybe the, the, the father. That's great. This morning, though, I want to I take uh, what we've had kind of tunnel vision focus on just the story, and I want to I zoom back. And I want to show you how this story, the story of the prodigal son, really is the story of all humanity. It's the story of humankind. Now, this story is told in the pages of Scripture, begins in Genesis, when God creates humanity. Genesis 1, 26 and following, it says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our own image, to be like us. So God created humans in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. So humanity, male and female, they weren't just made for each other's enjoyment and company. They were made to be in perfect relationship with the Father. Humanity was made to be in perfect relationship with the Father in the garden, a place of no parting of love, no decay, no sickness, no death. God would come and he would walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the night. I guess at times they talked, they laughed, they dreamed, or maybe they just simply loved being in each other's presence. And I guess to some degree, that was the same with the father and the two sons in our story today. You know, I'm guessing that for the most part, they lived in harmony together. Maybe even under the same roof, they worked together. And I'm sure at times they laughed, they talked, they dreamed, they enjoyed being in each other's presence. Let's go back to the story of Adam and Eve. What happened in the garden? Well... Adam and Eve chose to take their inheritance early. They chose to take their inheritance early. They chose to take an action, an action that God had had warned them not to take in an effort to be more like God. That's Genesis 3, 5. The consequences of this, they had to leave home. The only home they knew. And leaving home, they were leaving more than just this uh, phenomenal garden with awesome trees and and great fruit, no pain, no loss, no death. In leaving or in getting kicked out of the garden, they were leaving relationship as they knew it with the Father. They were leaving relationship with the way God intended relationship to be. They went from perfect relationship with God to this. Genesis chapter 3, 16 and following. Then God said to the woman... I will sharpen the pain of pregnancy, and in pain will you give birth. Your desire will be to control your husband, but he will rule over you. To the man, God said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains." By the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. You were made from dust, and you will return to dust. Sounds not quite as good as what they had in the garden, does it? In a few verses later, it says in verse 23, So the Lord banished them from the Garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. After sending them out, the Lord stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the garden, and he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. The tree of life. 
I understand that in Adam and Eve and Adam and Eve leaving the garden, I understand that was God's choice for them to leave. But I also understand the choice to leave the relationship. To sin was humanity's choice. From that day on, humanity was in exile. In searching for something better than they had, humanity ended up in exile. Now we've been looking at the story of the prodigal son now for four weeks. And in that story, the younger son essentially chose exile also. He took all he had. He went to a faraway place. He, he went to a place that was not home in the hopes of finding something better. So he chose to leave. And in choosing to leave, he chose exile. That's 15, verse 13. A few days later, the, the younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. Now, the older brother, too, in a very real way, chose to leave. Only his leaving looked different. His leaving involved a a relational break. His leaving was emotional. Hey, Dad, I'm I'm not coming in. I've been good all my life. You throw this party for my younger younger brother. Uh, Did I mention I'm not coming in? I'm choosing to leave the relationship you and I have by making this public protest. I'm choosing to live in exile even though I'm not leaving home. This choice of exile is is present throughout all the pages of Scripture and then into our lives today as well. Started with Adam and Eve, and we move just to their son, Cain, who makes the choice to kill his brother, and thus that leads to exile. Genesis 4, 10 to 12. The Lord said to Cain, What have you done? Listen, your, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be a homeless wanderer, an exile here on earth. A few generations later, Jacob also made a choice that led to leaving and exile. He chose to trick his brother and and trick his father and get get that birthright. His brother was... uh, upset to say the least and was planning on killing him his his mom heard this heard this and said wait Jacob come here Esau's trying to con- console himself by plotting to kill you so listen carefully my son get ready and flee to my brother Laban go live in exile essentially go live in a faraway land This exilic theme continues with Jacob's son, Joseph, who we we know the story ends up in Egypt by being sold into slavery. And we know that Joseph's entire family ended up there. Ultimately, they too, over time, became slaves and were living in exile, away from home. The end of Genesis, uh, Joseph made his brothers promise, look, when I die and when God comes back and takes you to our land, to our home, take my bones with you. And here it is simply stated, as demonstrated by these few stories in the book of Genesis, choices that people make led them to exile. They led to leaving home. Now, let's summarize all of Exodus through Malachi. That's the rest of the Old Testament. In all of that, God does all he can to return humanity and himself to the relationship he wanted to have. The original intention of that relationship But humanity does all it can to continue leaving 
to continue living in exile. Deuteronomy 30, verses 1 to 5, you can really hear God's heart in this. God says, in the future, when you experience all these blessings and curses that I have listed for you, when you are living among the other nations to which the Lord your God has exiled you to, take heart. Take to heart all these instructions. If at that time you and your children return to the Lord your God, and if you obey with all your heart and soul all the commands that I've given you today, then the Lord will return your fortunes. God was saying, look, I want to bring you home. But there's the important two-letter word in verse 2. It begins with if. If you choose to love the Lord with all your heart and soul. If you choose to stop feeding the pigs the pods to come back to the Father, then I will return you home. The story of the Israelites, what did they choose? Not just once, but regularly. Not to let God bring them home. Over and over in in Exodus through Malachi, we see the Israelites being exiled. See, the people of Judah were exiled to Babylon in 1 Chronicles chapter 9 because they were unfaithful to the Lord. Isn't this our story also? Isn't this humanity's story? God wants us home. But humanity has a habit of choosing something other than Him. It's easy to buy the lies that there is something better somewhere else. It's easy to look at somebody else's grass or snow and think, oh, that's wider than in my yard. Leaving is the easier route. But it comes with a huge side effect. Leaving our relationship with God is the easier route, but it comes with a huge side effect. Have you guys ever seen those commercials on TV that advertise different medicines? You know, they, they, start, uh, they start saying, you take this and you're going to have happiness. You're going to have wholeness. You're going to have health. But at the end of every one of those commercials, in this hushed and hurried, quiet tone, you get usually a guy saying something like this. The side effects of this may include headaches, toothaches, body aches, IBS, irritability, heartaches, kidney troubles, liver troubles, hearing issues, side issues, tasting issues, and in some cases, death. Bottom line, if you take this medicine, side effects could really, really make you sick. Our choice to leave, Adam and Eve's choice to leave has a huge side effect. We get sick. We get sick. Homesick. We get homesick. Living in exile, well, let's say this, if leaving leads to exile... Living in exile leads to homesickness. Living apart from God the way humanity was meant to really live makes us want to go home. Exile makes us long to be home. So the side effect of leaving is a homesick longing. The side effect of leaving is a homesick longing. In 2004, Abby and I moved to Chicago following God's call on our life to, live a, to, to join a ministry over there. And it was over there that we first started rooting for the Seahawks. Keep in mind, that was our second place team. We still wanted the Broncos to win. But we started rooting. There's my shout out to the Super Bowl. Good job, Seahawks, to all who are rooting for them. 
while we were living in Chicago, anytime the Seahawks would come on, we, would, we found ourselves cheering for them. And we hadn't before that. We had lived years in Washington, and we never rooted for them. But when living in Chicago, we found ourselves, oh, they're playing in Washington. That's our home. There's this lure to home. I think, at least for me, whenever I travel, if I'm, if I'm driving and I drive back across the border from Oregon or Idaho into Washington, I just get this, oh, home. It's a longing for home. I think that's what the, the younger brother in our story felt. He longed for home. Luke 15, verse 17 says, When he finally came to a census, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father. He came to a census. Now I take this to mean he recognized his longing. He remembered what home was like. And honestly, when he got home, he, he got that longing filled and so much more. He got his relationship back with his father. And his relationship back with his father. Let's rewind to Israel's history. For the most part, when the Israelites were exiled, they were longing for home. But in longing for home, they were longing for a geographical location. They were longing to be returned to the land that God had promised them. Now the interesting thing is, even at the times when God returned them to that, long, to that land, they found themselves still longing for something, still missing something. Why, why else would they continue then to search for anything other than God, even when they were living in their own land? I think it was because they were homesick, yet in a way that they didn't even realize what they were homesick for. Timothy Keller in the book Prodigal God that I've used a lot for the series says this, he says, it's no coincidence that story after story in Scripture contains the pattern of exile. The message of the Bible is that the human race is a band of exiles trying to come home. I believe the home that humanity is longing for is so much more than just a physical location. This home that they are longing for is a longing to be back to how it was in the garden. It's a longing to be in perfect relationship again with the Father. We crave that. Now let me ask a direct question. In the best of times in your spiritual walk, when you're just experiencing intimacy with God, when your prayer life is rich, when your time and word is yielding great insight, when you're, just, when you're connected with the Father, have you ever felt 100% home with Him? My guess is probably not 100%. Because you realize there's something more. There's something still missing no matter how good you have figured it out to be here. That longing is to be freed from sin. That longing is to be freed from our mortal bodies. That longing is for us to say, Oh, Jesus, take me home. Take me home now. When Pastor Dwight first hired me. He told me about all the funerals he did when he first started here at First Church years and years ago. Having been here now eight years, I've had my fair share of funerals. And if I'm honest with you, at, at each and every one of them, especially the ones where the, the people who pass have known the Lord, there's a part of me that just gets jealous. 
There's a part of me that wants what they are experiencing. There's a part of me that, that says, Jesus, I want to go home. I think that's a heartfelt, homesick longing. Scripture points to what we're longing for in 2 Corinthians 5, 1 and 2. Paul writes, For we know that when, when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies and we long, there's that word, we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. A different passage, the author of Hebrews writes this in Hebrews chapter 11. Hang on now. Now I've got to find it. There we go. Hebrews eleven thirteen says, All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads living here on earth. They were exiles living here on earth. Now, obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they call their own. But if they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back. They were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. They were longing for heaven. But not just to be away from earth, not just to, to, to live in a different place. They were longing because what they were longing for meant a return to perfect relationship with the Father. C.S. Lewis writes about spiritual homesickness. He says, Our lifelong nostalgia, our longing to be reunited with something in the universe from which we feel cut off, to be on the inside of some door which we have always seen from the outside is no mere neurotic fancy. It's the truest index of our real situation. Humanity was created to live in the garden, in this place of no decay, this place of never leaving love. We were created to live in perfect communion with the Father. But humanity left. And humanity found itself longing, homesick. This is where we return once again to our story in Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son. In this story, there is leaving. There is longing. And in the story, we see God placing himself in the sandals of the Father, lavishing his love upon the sons. God lavishing. Now remember, we talked about this last week. With the father's response to both sons, the father lavished his love upon them. With the younger one, he ran, he embraced, he kissed. And with the older one, he went out and he begged. I mean, this was the visible example of prodigality at its finest. Recklessly, extravagantly spending everything. God continues to do that today. We saw him already willing to go to whatever distance he had to to reconcile himself to humanity. We see him in the pages of Scripture as a human walking our roads, engaging in conversation with us, healing us, challenging us, loving us. He found himself hanging on the cross for us. Why? I mean, seriously, why? I think it's because he wanted to invite us in to the party. 
God wanted to invite us into the party. He wanted to invite us into the feast at the end of time. Watch how cool this is. Okay? We started, uh, I started claiming that the story of the prodigal son is the ultimate story of humanity, and we started in Genesis, looking at how humanity was created in God's image, living in, perfect, in a perfect garden in perfect relationship with the Father. Now let's go from Genesis to Revelation, and we get to see the story conclude. Revelation 19, verse 6. Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or a roar of the mighty oceans or the crash of a loud thunder. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Lord Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice. Let us give honor to Him, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb. And the bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear, For the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words that come from God. Blessed are those who are invited into the party, into the feast. The bride, God's church, has been invited in. And now, We get to go back or forward to that perfect place. Revelation 21, 1 and 2. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and old earth had disappeared. The sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I see this as God bringing back a type of Eden. I mean, how do I know? Look at how it's described in verse 4, chapter 21. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. No tears, no death, no pain, no sorrow. Sounds like glimpses of the original garden. At least it does to me. Now add on a reference to the tree of life. And it's kind of hard to to say, well, I don't know. Revelation 22, verse 1 and 2. Then the angel showed me a river with with, with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street, and on each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine heal the nations. A tree of life. Where have we heard that before? You know, we've talked about a feast that we're invited to. We've talked about a return to a place very much like Eden, but I think there's still something missing. Something key, the key thing that our hearts have been longing for ever since we left the garden. We're longing for God right? That presence of God with us. We want to be home with Him. Listen to 21 verse 3. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among His people. He will live with them. They will be His people. God Himself will be with them. I hear that and I go, oh, home. Or at least I think 
when that time comes, we will have returned. The prodigal humanity will have returned home. The Father will have looked for us, sought us out, returned us to Himself, said, come in to the party, and once again, we will have found ourselves home in Him. You ever read a book or watched a movie and found yourself saying, aha, that's my story. The parable of the prodigal son is that story. And it's our story as humanity. Do you see it? Will you be part of it at the end? Will you join the feast that God is saying, hey, come on in? I hope so. If you don't know how or if you don't know if you've been invited, come and talk to me after the service. We'll, we'll talk about that. For now, though, see the big picture. That the story of the prodigal son is the story of humanity. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for these last four weeks when we've been able to dig deeper into this, uh, into this story of the prodigal son. I thank you, Lord, for the ways each one of us connects to some degree in, in, in this story individually. And Lord, I thank you also that this story is the, the, the bigger picture of humanity, of humans choosing to leave you. And we find ourselves longing for you, and we realize that that longing won't be fulfilled until you invite us in to the wedding feast of the Lamb at the end of time. God, keep that longing burning in us. May that longing drive us to search Scripture for who you are in your heart for us. Uh, may that longing drive us to, to, to come to you in prayer constantly, asking you, God, what will this be like to be one, to live in harmony with you? May our longing drive us to our knees, God. We thank you for what you teach us in your word, and we ask that you continue to teach us as we go from here. We thank you and we love you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.